Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My job is driving me crazy. Ah, sorry. Do you hate your job or does your job hate you? Sorry. Sorry, I can't find the answer to the question I heard. My career crisis. Hi, Sue. Hello. It's the end of series one. Yes, it's gone quick, really. It's been amazing, hasn't it? Mm. Um, what a journey. We've had some incredible stories from our uh, our guests who've come on to share their career crisis. Everything from having a baby with uh, whilst running a small business and not wanting to tell your business partner to, I mean, one of the main themes, I think, really is creativity versus money. Definitely. We've come back to that time and time again. Mm. And also confidence. Do you think there's something about women nowadays at a certain point in their careers? A lot of the people we've spoken to have been kind of mid-30s through to mid-40s, who their career crisis is more a crisis of confidence than anything else. Yeah, I think you'd sum up most of the examples that we've had about confidence. And, yeah. and when you see you know, from our point of view, these wonderful women coming in and you think, what have you got to be unconfident about? Right. But but it's interesting. I mean, if I had, when I'm ruled the world, which is not going to happen anytime <laughs> soon, um, I would actually have sort of confidence building in the curriculum at school. Yeah. You know, um, when my daughter was at school, she went to a girls' school and I, I did a regular thing where I went and helped, you know, and just taught confidence and stuff because I think it's a really good thing to do. If you get them early... Just, not so that they're bullshit or precocious, but just, you know, you're as important as anybody else. You're not more important. You're not less important. Just think on that. What are your what are your top tips for confidence training? Just putting you on the spot then. Top three things would you do? Well, that one, um, I'm always saying to my kids, you know, look, you are as important as anybody else. Even if that person's more senior than you, obviously they have greater responsibility. But you are as important and that enables you if you feel that somebody is doing something which is affecting the way that you're doing your work or whatever, but well, I have to go and tell them because I'm as important as they are. You know, it's yeah. it's difficult to keep hold of that. Um, but, I, but I do think it's got to be running through you. I think the second thing um, in Catelyn Moran's book, which is I recommend uh, how, to, how to Build a Girl, which is very funny. But she says, you know, fake it till you make it. <laughs> and um, I think sometimes the appearance of confidence, looking as though you know what you're doing, um, can help you to sort of get in. And then you think, oh, actually, I can do this. Um, and another thing I think is just if if you're a bit worried about doing something, say to yourself, what is the worst thing that could happen? And usually it's not much. So why don't you try and do it? And if you get it wrong, you'll learn something. People seem to be terrified of making mistakes. Yeah. Um, you know, in our last podcast, 
podcast, we talked about unrealistic standards, regretting what you've done wrong. Every time I've done something wrong, it's taught me something. And if I hadn't done those things, I wouldn't be the person I am now. So don't even make mistakes. We all do it. You know, I mean, obviously, if you're a doctor, please don't listen to what I've just said. But um, anybody else, mate, you can, or a bus driver or an airline pilot, but everybody else, you can make mistakes. Yeah, you get the idea, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, it's something that's always been on my mind since since having a girl as well. I think it's a very feminine trait and, you know, society for you know whatever mad patriarchal reasons likes to give women issues you know everything from women's magazines that you know you've you've regularly railed against on this podcast and I completely agree with you to making us feel bad about ourselves in whatever way possible whether it's we're not strong enough we're not fit enough we're not pretty enough we're not thin enough we're not clever enough and I think that girls um more than boys have far more pressure put on them I mean, maybe I'm being far too, you know, I, I, I know I'm being very simplistic, but, you know, we have just had a full series of women coming to us with these kind of issues. I, I, I think um, we mustn't blame it all on the patriarchy because I think women bear some responsibility as this. I mean, it's interesting, you know, when you have a, a girl child, because I've always tried and it's so hard not to say be careful. It's really, you know, it's on the tip of your tongue. Be careful, be careful. And what you're actually saying is, so don't risk, don't try, don't, you know. And I wanted her to always um, just get a bit outside her comfort zone, do what she, you know. And, if she, and all, all I ever said to her was, do your best, you know, not get A's, just do your best. If she came back from an exam and it um, it hadn't gone very well, I'd just say, did you do your best? Yes, that's all That's all I can ask for. And I think that's just do your best is quite a good motto, really. My dad had a great um, way of dealing with our report cards for my sister and I when we were teenagers, which was the report card would come in and at our school they would, they'd put your percentage and then they'd put the average of the class. And my dad didn't care what that average was and what my mark was he just wanted me to be above average and he would always say that to me he'd just go what was the average I'd say oh dad I got like you know 49 percent and he'd say what was the average what was the average as long as I was above average and that's something that has just been ingrained in my head my whole life is just to be alternative it's good to be alternative that was something else he used to say to us but were you above the average? But those messages are so important. Mm. I mean, I had a very, very different background in that my dad I did used to come top in the class a, a lot um and I remember once I brought a report card home and I came second and he just let me have it because I came second. Wow. Now, my sister, who used to come seventh or eighth, um, if she came ninth, he didn't say anything. But because I was first, I think it's also to do with about being the oldest child because parents' expectations are much higher on oldest children. A lot of research bears that out. A lot of older children and only children are higher achieving simply because they have to be. Their expectations are very, very... They have to meet their parents' expectations. And I've always tried to be, even though it hasn't come easily, very laid back mm. with my kids, you know. Do your best. That's all I want. And your best is good enough for me. And sometimes they've been quite honest and they've said, I didn't do my best. And then I say, I'm disappointed. Mm. Mm. But even try. that kind of self-recognition that, that self of, of something you've done yourself, I think, is healthy. Absolutely. To admit that and just say, right, OK, I'm sorry, I've let you down. Let's let's move on. Well, what we wanted to do on this episode of My Career Crisis is um, share some of your stories uh, because people have got in touch with us by email uh, mainly and on Twitter at My Career Crisis to just share some of their, some of their stories. And we thought we'd kind of make it a post-bag 
bag episode and go through some of these messages we've got. A lot of them quite personal as well. So um, I thought I'd start with one that I was like, come on, no one has this problem, do they? And then Sue, of course, goes, actually, I've had to deal with this because you've had to deal with everything, <laughs> which is from Aisha, who got in touch with us on Twitter. And she just said, I'm working with someone with bad BO. Do I tell them? Does this really happen? Yes. Yes, it does. It does more than you'd think. Um, right. So a couple of questions I'd have, first of all, what is her position vis-a-vis -vis this colleague? So is it someone she manages or is it someone she's beside? I mean, if you manage somebody, I think it's your job to tell them. Now, in your position, were you managing yes, someone? With I was managing somebody, but I was completely gutless about it. I remember <laughs> he, he came into my department for a six-month sort of stint and um, he was going to be training people. And I had noticed he was a bit whiffy, but I tried to pretend I hadn't because I did not want to have that conversation. And one of his colleagues came to me and said, um, have you noticed he's quite smelly? And I, to my shame, I said, is he? <laughs> really? He goes, well, yeah, and I think you should have a word. Now, I did try and pass the buck. I did try and say, do you not think it would come better from a man? You know, mano a mano. And he said, no, I think it would come better from the manager. And I thought, yes, you're absolutely okay. right. Yeah, yeah. So what I, I was due to see him at the end of the first week, um, just to give him some feedback about how he's done that week. And, and to be fair to him, apart from this quite huge thing, um, his behaviour had been exemplary, he'd picked up things very quickly. And for me, it's always a question, and I think this is going to affect some of the other things we're going to talk about. You know, why am I having this conversation? And for me as a manager, it was, is he doing something that's affecting his work, my work, the team's work, the end product? And it was going to affect his ability to work with other people. So I thought I have to, I have to say, say it to him. So we had the general feedback, and then I said... Um, did you know, or, um, when you're telling people, I do this in coaching sometimes, if you're telling somebody something that you don't think they know mm. um, or they're not really aware of the impact, start the sentence with, did you know? So I, did you know that you've got quite a strong body odour? Now, um, that's where I made my mistake because I should have just shut up and let him answer me. But of course, I was feeling quite nervous. Mm -hmm. So I started to gabble. And I said, you know, because the reason that we have to do do, do this when we're, we're working quite closely with people and obviously, you know, that's going to get in the way. And I just thought, just shut up, just shut up. And in the end, I said, look, I think I may have upset you. If you ask a question, it pushes it onto the other person. And um, he got up and he said... Um, no, I'm not. I'm set. I'm, I'm quite shocked. Nobody's ever spoken to me like this. And he sort of flounced out. And then I spent the weekend worrying that he'd thrown himself under a bus. Mm -hmm. um, but on the Monday, he came in and he was minty fresh. So I don't know what he'd done, but he was he was obviously fine. And I just tried to behave as though we'd never had the conversation. He was quite sheepish with me for a couple of days. And then he got into the groove. It, it, this was obviously so traumatic that I wiped it from my memory, which I have a habit of doing. And at the end of the attachment, when he was supposed to go back to his original job, I did an appraisal with him and I just said how well he'd done because he played it wonderfully. He did an exemplary attachment with me. He was one of the best people I'd ever had. And he said to me, uh, I said, have you got any feedback for me? And he said, yes, I'd just like to say how much I've liked working with you. And I said, oh, that's really nice to know. And he said, and also, I'd like to say thank you for what you said to me at the beginning of the attachment. And I stupidly said, what did I say to you at the beginning of the attachment? Oh, no. And he said, you know, when you told me I was smelly. <laughs> And I thought, oh, my God. And I said, um, I don't think I used those exact words. And he went, no, no. He said, you did it very well in retrospect. I think I was a bit upset. And this is the bit that got me reaching for the Kleenex. He said, um, I've looked back and a lot of things in my life have started making sense. 
And he said, I'd like to thank you because I think you changed my life. Whoa. Yeah, well, I was so proud of myself. But I, I just, it, what it taught me was, right, first of all, I have to ask myself this question. Why am I having this conversation with this person? Because I want to help them. Now, I can talk to them about it. It doesn't mean they're going to do anything about it. So, But what's my responsibility? So I told him and it had a happy ending. I'm not naive enough to think it would always end like that. But what's the alternative, right? So you either ignore it. Now, if um, Aisha's, it's a colleague, it's obviously more difficult because you don't have the authority. But somebody said to me once, you know, we, we could leave some antiperspirant on their desk. Mm. Oh, yes, that so works. You know, they come in and go, who's antiperspirant is this? So... <laughs> If you feel for this person, if it's affecting your ability to do your job or it's their ability to do their job, then I think you have to say something. Yeah. You know, and you're doing a kindness. Yeah. Yeah. I think that your story absolutely proves that. Um, here we've got another one here, uh, Nat. My boss always comments on my weight. I can't believe this, quite honestly. In a roundabout, passive-aggressive way. Like when I'm off out to lunch or she catches me with my mouth full. I'm so self-conscious now, I don't like to eat in the office. She doesn't mention whether the weight thing is overweight or underweight. I'm assuming it's overweight. I'd imagine so, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, you know, you just want to give these people a slap, don't yeah. you? Um, right. If I was a man, if, if if I was uh, training this manager, what I would say to them is, um, you know, when you want, it's very um, germane to what we've just been talking about. Mm -hmm. Why do I make comments like this? Now, I'm I'm just really stretching stretching credibility uh, credulity here, but I'm just trying to work out why would this be relevant? Now, uh, let's supposing somebody's way is affecting them. It's affecting their ability to do their job. Um, let's say they do look distracted or sluggish or, you know, as they've put on weight, their their work effort has changed. Mm -hmm. Then it might be worth talking to them about their health. Like it's been a rapid weight gain across a number yeah. of months or rapid rapid weight loss, actually, at the same. But but my if in the managerial role, my question would always be, so why do you want to have this conversation? Now, mm. if you can say to me as a manager... It's affecting their ability to do their job. And and if they'd lost a dramatic amount of, sure. of weight, I care about my staff mm. and I'd like to know that they're okay. If, for example, they're then having days off illness. Now, I think that's a genuine concern. But this sounds more to me that often you get people who perhaps, you know, maybe she's somebody with rigid iron control who never lets um, a bit of bread past her lips. Mm. And one of the ways she copes with that way of living is to say to other people, you know, often we... We say to people what we don't like about ourselves. Mm. Now, the, the question is, how does she deal with this? Mm. First of all, um, when people say to me, you know, they make me feel bad, right? No, no, no. You do that all on your own. But somebody can offer you bad, you have to take it. So, first of all, why are you so upset about it? It's 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 not nice, right? But but there's there's not nice, and there's it's really getting to me. So, which is it? One way would be is to confront her. But you again, you've got to have confidence to do this and you've got to be careful. I mean, one way of it might be, um, you know, you've, you you mentioned my weight a lot. Do you feel that this is having an effect on my ability to do my job? Mm. Do you think that it's affecting a lot of confidence, my work? Especially if this person is quite junior and it's a boss who's obviously using it as a power play, it sounds to yeah. me. I mean, I'm old enough and ugly enough and fat enough to not care. 
So if somebody spoke to me like that, I would laugh because I just think it's ludicrous. As long as I'm confident that I'm doing my job and my work hasn't slackened off in any way and I know I'm good at my job, I just think, lady, this is your problem, Mm -hmm. you know. You know, if it went on, I, I know I probably would say something. But but the way to say it is, I notice that you pick up on my weight quite a lot. Um, do you think that that's affecting my ability to do my job? I think you'd only say it once because I don't think she'd carry on after that. No way. It's interesting, this whole thing about weight, because you're actually not protected in any kind of law. No. Unless your weight is so severe, under or over, that it becomes a disability. So, you know, even in America... Um, they've been trying to get this onto the statute for a long time, but you have to prove that you are actually disabled and therefore you are being discriminated against because you're disabled. And it seems to be the last thing that people can have a go about, mm-hmm. you know. That, they, that That's being, interesting. That yeah. being ginger, yeah. I think those are the two yeah. legal things that we can get away with. Yeah. You know, people don't mind saying, oh, you know, they're a pig or they're fat or whatever. It's a form of bullying. Would you be so dismissive of any other group? No. So I think you need to think about what you say to people. Just sounds right. I just still can't believe that someone would do that in this day and age. Oh, sadly, I can. I seem to say that a lot these days. In this day and age. <laughs> My career crisis. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Um, I've got a lovely, uh, quite a long story here from uh, a listener who was working in a very busy restaurant environment. um, And she says she has PTSD and panic disorder. um, And she was struggling a lot with depression and anxiety at the time. She had worked in a branch of this restaurant who'd been very supportive of her issues. She'd been upfront about it. She's young. She told her manager her her problems, but they they, they made a way for her to work. She then moved to London to a very busy branch of the same restaurant and she had a total nightmare from people being very nasty to her quite openly um, and going to work made her very, very depressed. One girl was very rude to her for no reason, really started, you know, she, she was trying to make an effort to be nice. No one was interested in who I was, she says. There was a feeling of real sadness when she was working there. Um, she didn't, I mean, this just makes me so mad. I didn't get included in the Secret Santa. I don't know why and I got no explanation or apology for this, even from the 
the manager. And that kind of seemingly so silly thing can really destroy someone's confidence, especially mm. when they're already struggling with issues. She was crying at work, having panic attacks. Anyway, it, the, 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 she's she's gone into loads of detail here. And thank you so much for getting in touch. But she then says that her mother basically said, oh, you have to quit and go back to the original place you were working, leave London. And the upshot is, she says, she's now working somewhere where she's really happy. She's working in a bar while she's finishing her master's. Everyone's very understanding and very supportive of her situation. So she's really just got in touch to kind of say, this is my experience of having these issues and how I had this awful experience and now I have a good experience. What would your advice be for someone who, you know, knows they have these problems, but also needs to just have a job and work and make money in terms of taking that with you into the office or, or the, you know, wherever you're working? I think, well, well done, mum, for a start. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think your first concern, you know, going back to what we said at the beginning, I'm as important as anybody else. But that also means I have to take responsibility for myself. And if you're not well, you need to get well. And working in a very busy restaurant when you have PTSD and anxiety attacks probably is not the best marriage. And in fact, I think she was very lucky that in that first instance, she did get an understanding manager. I mean, yes, all managers should be like that, but they're also trying to run a business. You know, I think it was hats off to that guy who employed her in the first place because I think that was wonderful. But that's quite difficult to manage and you'd have to be really mature to deal with that. She comes down to London where most catering staff are quite transient anyway, you know, because it, I think working in, in that sort of catering restaurant must be quite stressful if you're a manager, trying to make sure you've got the quality of staff and whatever. And she arrived with a load of problems. Now, I think he should have been much more sympathetic, but it was an accident waiting to happen. Mm. So she took the decision that even though there were these things that were wrong, she was putting herself in a place of real vulnerability. She was moving away from her support network, her dear mum, who obviously loves her very much. And, and I'm not saying that she shouldn't ever come to London again, but be well first. Yeah. It's a tough place if you haven't got a support network and lots of friends already. It's a big step to come to a big city like this and sort yourself out. So, Especially get... at a vulnerable age as well, in your early 20s. I mean, I did it. It was awful. You, you know, and I can't say I've got PTSD and panic. You know, I, I really and I struggled. Everyone I know struggled. Yeah, it goes back to a theme from some of the other podcasts, trying to live up to what other people do, you know. So, oh, my friends have gone to London. I'd better go to London then, you know. So it's all about challenging why do I want to do these things? And it's not to say you never do them. It's just is this the best time to do them? And, I mean, if she had been my daughter... Um, I would have moved heaven and earth for her not to go to London because I would know, it, but that's if the mother knew, that she wasn't well, yeah, you know. Yeah. Get well first, look after yourself. You are, you have got to be your first priority. Yeah. And if you're well, you can deal with so many different situations. And it sounds like she's really on the mend now. She's learned a brilliant lesson because she's gone back, she's looked after herself, and now she's getting good results. Yeah, and they said, she said the staff are great as well. So obviously people know her situation and they support her when things get difficult. So... Glad to hear things are um, much better. Uh, we've had a note from a teacher. I don't know the person's name. They say, I gave my notice earlier this year and I'm considering leaving teaching for good for many reasons, but this current job sucked my soul right out. Definitely in the middle of a career crisis. It's overwhelming to be 41 and considering not just a job change, but an entire career shift. That's a big one. But I mean, what, so what she, she say? doesn't say if she's got any idea what she wants no, to do. No, that's all we know, I'm afraid. <clears throat> well... You know, I taught for two years and um, every one of those two years I realised I wasn't 
I, I shouldn't be where I was. You know, it was just... But I'd, you know, I'd got a degree, then I trained to be a teacher and there's a sort of thing, well, I've got to stick it out. No, you don't. Life's mm. too short. Mm. So I, I think she, if she's been a teacher, obviously for some years, because she's now 41, she has hugely transferable skills. And I think we mentioned this on other podcasts. Stop thinking about the job, thinking about, think about abstract objectives. Where do I want to be in terms of my well-being? You know, do I want to be in a job where I'm told what to do all the time? Do I want to have more freedom? Do I want to be managed? Do I want to be on my own? All these things, what will make this a happy situation for me? And then find a job to fit it. Yeah. But she's got more skills than she knows. I think when you work, and it's not just teaching, if you work for an organisation for any length of time, you do to a certain extent become institutionalised. I mean, I worked in an organisation for 12 years and then I went freelance and it was it was really a big thing because I, there were certainties when you worked in a company that, okay, it might, might not have been very nice, it might, there might have been loads of things I didn't like about it, but it had a routine, it had a structure and also you got paid on the 15th of every month, which was a big plus. Then I became a freelance and all of that had to be rethought and I had to also say, who am I? I'm sure for probably about 20 years she's been saying I'm a teacher. Well, she's not anymore. And that I know that sounds really sort of trite, but then if you're not a teacher, who are you and what are you doing? But looking at some of the, I mean, coping with children on a daily basis, all those negotiating skills that you have to have. I was going to say the transferable skills from teaching to any other career Absolutely. are huge, aren't they? But, but I, I think sometimes you just can't see that. Right. So I would, um, you know, I would get her to go to someone who could look at her CV and pull stuff out for her. I mean, I help people with CVs sometimes and they... Um, after a long conversation, little things will come out and I say, why isn't that on your CV? Well, mm. it's well, I can do that. Mm. Yeah, but it's transferable. Stick it on a CV. Sell yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what have we got here? This is an interesting one, Sue. I've received a work experience request from, privileged, from a privileged white son of very lovely friend. He's currently at Cambridge University and I think he'll be fine without me, but think turning him down slash not helping may be unreasonable and be uncomfortable with my friend. So she's trying to fight the class war on her own. Is she? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, right. I know a lot of companies who have adopted a policy of properly managing work experience so that, for example, that wouldn't prohibit him. He could apply in the normal way. And and but that wouldn't mean that it's who, you know, that gets you the job. Because that was a big thing at the BBC, wasn't it? I remember years ago that they had to change that they had to make it an official route into doing work experience yeah. because it was becoming far too who you know. I mean, luckily, when I started, it was still who you know. <laughs> right. Well, see, I've never known anybody, so it's never been an advantage to me. But, but, um, but, but you know, and I think that's good policy. That yeah, you, I and, agree. and that way he could apply, and I'm sure he'd be a very good candidate. Yeah. Um, but if you don't have that policy, then, I mean, if, if I was her... Um, and it's my friend, I would probably help my friend. But perhaps what this opens up is an opportunity maybe to help other people as well. Could she have a discussion in work about how do we manage work experience? Wouldn't it be great for us if we could target schools of who was that, that, yeah. that were socially deprived, yeah, for example? Yeah. So I, I think it could be the start of something. Yeah. Um, Instigating a diverse work experience programme where you say we're going to actively go and find people who are not going to have a foot in the door automatically with a company like ours. But also, I mean, 
I, it's funny because when I first started applying for jobs, um, because I, as we all know, I'm very old. And uh, so the early 80s, it was very much which university you'd gone to and preference was given to um, Oxford and Cambridge. Now, I went to a very good university and I got a good degree, but um, it didn't seem to cut any ice. But where this left me was that when I was in a position to recruit other people, I could feel myself saying, if I saw an application, it had Cambridge or Oxford on it, right, come on then, we're ready for you. <laughs> now, that is as bad as doing that against someone with a black skin. It's stupid. It's true. You know, they're obviously clever. And that doesn't mean to say they're privileged, but even if there are privileges, that's not their fault, you know? So I don't think it's about rubbishing them. It's about bringing other people up. That's right. Is 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 more positive. You know, at the beginning, I was very equally balanced, chip on both shoulders, you know? <laughs> um, but fortunately, I don't have those anymore. And what I try to do is just take people on their merits, no matter what their background, creed, colour, gender, because I think that's what's more important. And I just think, you know... I, I, I hear the class war in what she's saying and I totally get it and I'm supportive. But I think it would be churlish not to help her friend. Um, I've got one here that is about, this is quite, this gets into quite a bit of detail here, but I like it as a, a I want to hear your advice on this. I have recently taken a technical slash product role, but in the past I've always been a senior editorial person. I'm very happy in the new role, but very frustrated at being told I'm not creative and should butt out of some discussions. I believe my feedback will make the product better, so I will continue to feed it feedback in politely and assertively. However, it's really irritating to be labelled as not creative. But I don't want to share my CV or say, do you know who I am or similar. <laughs> I have done a bit of that and hate it. I think you're the one with the problem with the labels. Yeah. You know, again, labels only work if you let them. And what does it matter? This whole thing about creative, we have creative people. So that ergo, everybody else is not. Everybody's creative in a different way. And I know that sounds a bit hippy-dippy. But what I mean is that people have different work experience. They have different ways of seeing things, different life experience. It's how you deal with it in the moment. So what she's saying is that she's saying something and they're telling her they actually use the words butt out. It seems uh, she hasn't actually put that in inverted commas. I think that's just how it feels. Yeah. And I think that's an important factor is I want her to listen to this. Be, be so good. If, if I was talking to her face to face, I'd say, give me an example. Yes. Because sometimes... Um, it's not what's being said, it's what's being heard. Mm. I, I had somebody recently I was working with and she said everybody that I work with is is older and it's a real problem. And I go, right, okay, give me an example when it's been a real problem. And she could think of nothing. nothing. <laughs> it was what was going on in her head. Right. She was feeling intimidated because these people were older. Um, and I, I would just, you know, so I'd be making my point. If someone said, well... I mean, I'd be really interested to hear what they did say. Mm. But I would say, no, 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 look, let, let me just finish my point. Now, that doesn't mean to say they'll take it up. and But that's not necessarily to do with the fact that you're not creative. It just might be that it doesn't yeah. fit. And also, I my my initial reaction to this is that I mean, you're in the wrong job, aren't you? If your job is not allowing you to be that person that you feel you are, as well as this new role that you've taken on, you need to go find one that can actually straddle the two. Yeah, and what's she looking for? I mean, yeah. if I would think that someone who had initially a create inverted commas creative background, but then also uh, has got a technical, how skilled is she? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's more about the environment of that company that you're working with, and if it is very stratified, and no, you don't have an opinion on something, I'd be looking for another job. 
Yeah, I agree. How do I ask for a pay rise? I'm terrified of my two bosses. They're always too busy to properly catch up with. And the thought of asking for a meeting to dis to discuss makes me feel sick. And actually, <laughs> I, yeah, I know someone else who's actually in this exact situation who's quite senior in an architecture firm and she's feeling this way. What is going on? Bad right. management. I mean, bad bosses, first of all. That goes without saying. Ish, ish. Uh, I mean, uh, right, a couple of things. This um, asking for a meeting is making me sick. <clears throat> asking for a meeting is making me feel sick. Yeah, but you've got to ask for one, yeah. right? Because you can't have this conversation in a corridor. It's got to be a meeting. And going back to what we keep saying, I'm as important as they are, okay? Then what's the worst thing that can happen? They can say no. And then what will I do about that, okay? But also, it's not just a given that you should get money. There seems to be this thing, you know, if I've stayed in a in a, a company for a year and I've still got a pulse, I should get more money. And I would be making it a business case. I wouldn't be making it an emotional. So let's supposing, and I don't know enough of the detail, but supposing I've been here a year or two years and I'm on the same salary I was at the beginning, then what I'd be saying is, okay, what value have I added to this job in the last two years? So if I leave now, I'm two years worth of experience that they're losing. But you've got to be very businesslike about it and not moany or whingy. So um, I'd like to discuss my salary because, as you know, I've been here for two years. During that time, I have now taken over responsibility for X, Y and Z. I can now do this. I can now do that. And I think we should discuss uh, a pay rise. And I wouldn't put a figure on it. I just that's your opening gambit. And it's for them then to say why you shouldn't have one. Now, it is the case, having other information is quite useful. So, for example, if anybody else has been given a pay rise, um, some companies, especially over recent years, it's been quite static. Nobody's been taking pay rises because they've, you know, they haven't been able to. Um, can you in any way benchmark your job with jobs outside? So, um, Often, if you look in, um, in, you know, online or whatever, you can see the sort of pay range for a job. And if it's wildly out of kilter to what you're earning, then I think you need to make that point. You know, I've looked at other jobs. They're being paid five grand more than I'm being paid. I'm not saying I want five grand, but I think that pay relativity needs to be made up. And the bottom line is, if they don't give it to you and you think that you're worth more, then start applying for other jobs. I know this is a bit of a theme and I'm I'm concerned that it doesn't sound as though I'm saying to people just run away because I don't mean that at all. You always in the first instance try and make it better where you are. But if I think I'm as important as everybody else and they are consistently underpaying me and not giving me the respect that I think I'm owed, then I'm going to go. I'm not putting up with it. I think that's an excellent place to end, Sue. That was excellent <laughs> advice. Thank you. I wish I'd had that at some points in my career when I've asked for more money. I've always gone in on the kind of slightly emotional yeah. thing and and I've always sort of sneakily found out what someone else is earning and then they sort of say, well, that's not got anything to do with this. Oh, I don't know. I've just gone about it in a terrible way instead of actually selling myself again. And also if, get, be factual. Yeah, be you know, factual. Exactly. Prepare your business case. Yeah. So like in anything in business, if you wanted to um, get an extra member of staff or you want to do anything, you would be expected to come up with a business case for this. The reason we need this person is this. And I think you apply that same logic to yourself. You know, when I used to take on people, um, if they hadn't had a lot of experience, my business manager would say, right, we'll put them at the bottom of the salary scale because I don't know if this is going to work out. Mm -hmm. Now, what I always did, my business manager was brilliant at this. 
when they worked with me for about six months, she'd say to me, are they good? And I go, yes. And she said, well, we need to think about paying them a bit more then because they're now six months down the line. They're six months more useful to you. If they were to go, that would be annoying and mm-hmm. inconvenient. Now, often the pay rise you gave them wasn't huge. We, we didn't have a lot of um, scope for that. But the effect it had when your manager says to you, look, you've been here six months. I think you're absolutely brilliant and I'm going to pay you a bit more money. It's not a lot. They are so happy. And I think also what's at the bottom of her question is, I feel overlooked that they won't have meetings with her. They're really busy. They're Mm. not giving her any attention. Mm. So all of that is bound up in that. But you do not have this conversation until you've got all those facts in black and white in front of you and you get rid of some of the emotion. That's it. The emotion. The amount of meetings I've cried in and I just regret (laughs) it so much. Anyway, Sue, thank you so much for your wisdom over the series and experience. Um, This has been My Career Crisis Series 1. We will be back with My Career Crisis Series 2 at some point in the future. Um, So we would you know love for you to keep in touch follow us on twitter at my career crisis um, and we will be back soon thanks a lot sue you're very welcome my career crisis ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.